24th chapter of the book of Genesis. And I'm going to preach a message entitled, Who is that man in the field? Who is that man in the field? While you're turning there, Tyler and I will be out at Resurrection Church tonight at Pastor Jeremy Teague's playing for his night of worship. And it's going to be a good time tonight in God, good time tonight in the Holy Spirit. It is open to the public if you're interested to come out and worship, come to go to Resurrection Church, Pastor Jeremy. We'd be happy to see you there. All right, Genesis chapter 24, beginning in verse 62. We're just going to read through 65. If you have a different uh, Bible on you, on your phone, or in your lap, um, I'm reading from the NIV, and here we go. Now, Isaac had come from Beer Lehay Roy, for he was living in the Negev. He went out to the field one evening to meditate. And as he looked up, he saw camels approaching. Rebekah also looked up and saw Isaac. She got down from her camel and asked the servant, Who is that man in the field coming to meet us? He is my master, the servant answered. So she took her veil and covered herself. Of all times, this is that classic moment when his eyes met her eyes and they locked together. That romantic moment when across, from across the room their eyes meet each other. This is that moment. And if you are at all uh, someone who has been in church or, or are, are a student of the Bible, um, you are well familiar with this story, the story of Isaac and Rebekah, and the love that manifested out of, quite literally, virtual obscurity, and it was thrust upon the most prominent of all Jewish patriarchal families. We're all familiar with Father Abraham. At the time of our text, Abraham is quite well advanced in age, and he calls his chief servant, and he subsequently sends him on a mission. That mission is to secure a wife for his son, not out of just any old place, but out of his own country and from his own relatives and kin. That's the, re- that's the requirement. We're also familiar with the oath that the servant takes And how the Lord God led him directly to the right girl for his master's son. I mean, servant no sooner made it to town than the Lord had pointed out the right girl for Isaac. We all know the story of Rebekah with the face of an angel and the heart of a servant. How she labored to refresh not only the servant himself, as well as his men that accompanied him, but ten camels that were in the servant's caravan to boot. We all know all that. Man, people who can preach far better than I 
have preached this sermon and preached this text. And, I mean, exceptional messages have come out of this passage. However, me being who I am, I'm just a, a, a northern word here. I'm just a skosh different. I'm just a little bit different than most of the, the, the picture-painting, word-picture-painting orders that have worked this message before. You see, the thing that I find that's interesting, um, well, there's a multitude of things that I find interesting, but one of them is that the journey back from Nahor. Now, Nahor is the hometown where Rebekah and her family lived. It's in, it's in a, an area way up north of what now is Israel. It wasn't Israel at this time. It wasn't that. It was called Canaan at that time. And she came from this area of the world that literally its Hebrew meaning of its name means Aram of the two rivers. Now that sounds like Native American talk, but it's not. That's Hebrew. And it literally means... For those of you who know geography, it means northwest Mesopotamia. Now you're going, and? I know. Where she comes from is between the Euphrates and the Tigris rivers. And where that is is actually a place that everyone here likely has heard of called the Fertile Crescent. If you don't know where the Fertile Crescent is, and you don't know where Aram or Nahor is, and you don't know where Mesopotamia is. Well, the only reason it's really important for this morning is because we're talking about a young woman who took a trip. And distance is involved here. Now, if you can think of a world map right now, and if I had been prepared and smart enough to do this, I'd have put a map up on the screen. But think about where Israel is, okay? Think about that on a map. Think about how the Mediterranean Sea moves in. And right there on the extreme eastern shoreline of the Mediterranean Sea is Israel. Then it's called Canaan, but now it's Israel. The southern edge of the Mediterranean, that's all North Africa. Okay? And so if you go into North Africa and take a right, you go across the base of the Saudi, uh, the, the Saudi Arabian Peninsula, and boom, you're in Israel. Right there. Okay? That's where this girl comes from. But she's way up at the northern tip of the Fertile Crescent, which goes from the Persian Gulf all the way across down through Israel and into northeastern Egypt. Great big arcing area. You can see it on Google. She comes from way up there. And what's interesting about that is her betrothed, her soon-to-be husband, Isaac, he comes from way down here, south of Canaan, south of Israel, on the very end of the very base of the Saudi Peninsula, called the Negev. It's still called that today. And so she's coming from way up here, and she has to travel all the way down here. Now keep this in mind, okay? The guy who shows up at her hometown, she doesn't know him. She doesn't know the guys that are running with this guy that she doesn't know, called the servant. She doesn't know any of them. 
And he shows up, and, not, and she meets him in the square, not knowing anything about him. And she, she ministers to them by giving them water and, all, and the camels, all the water and, and, the, and the extra servants, all the water and everything. And then she invites them over to her place. Because the servant tells her, look here, my master, Abraham, he's your kinfolk. And he needs a wife for his son, Isaac. And God showed me it's you. And over the next day, a decision is made for that young woman to travel from where she lives all the way down where Isaac lives. Do you realize that's some 500 plus miles away on Camelback? 500 plus miles on Camelback. And what she does is she says, oh yeah. Now listen to Genesis chapter 24 where we just came from. Verse 61. This is the verse just preceding our text. And it says, then Rebecca and her attendants got ready and mounted the camels and went back with the man. So the servant took Rebecca and left the entire journey. The whole thing, approximately 500 plus miles. Wow. Is mentioned only one time, and that's in passing in this entire story. Realizing something here. A really, really good day of travel on Camelback is roughly 20 miles a day. And that's pushing it. That's not running your economy at Camel. That's a big block Camel. Okay? Gas guzzler tax, the whole nine yards. This is 20 miles a day. If you're lucky, usually less. Why, thank you, kind sir. I appreciate that. Usually less. But for my sake, because I am academically challenged when it comes to mathematics, let's say it's 20 miles a day so it's easy math for me. Okay? Everybody good with that? Okay. At 20 miles a day, the journey from where Rebecca lived in the northern section of the Fertile Crescent all the way down to the Negev where Isaac lived took at the minimum a month to make, probably more. Now, you say, okay, why is that important? A month's worth of travel time on a camel with people that she doesn't know is a lot of time for a young lady to think about what she has done and the decisions that she has made. In fact, a month's time or more is a lot of time for just about anyone to think about the decisions that they have made and what they have decided to do. Consider this. This girl left home and her family to wed an unknown, unseen man 500 plus miles away from all that she had ever known, from all that she loved, and she had based her decision to do this thing on the word of a complete and total stranger. Rebecca was going on the ultimate blind date. It was ultimate because it was entirely blind and absolutely zero date. It's the, this is like extreme, ultimate blind dating. 
Probably an Olympic sport somewhere. See, the thing about it is, is that this wasn't about dating. This is about a wedding. Marriage was the order of the day, and a wedding was on the docket. And what? And when you think about all this, what I'm trying to get across, what about Rebecca's family? Her daddy, Bethuel, up there in northern Mesopotamia. What about it? I'm sure that they would love, as all of us would have, loved to have known about how their girl was doing. 500 plus miles and a month or more travel. I'm pretty sure mom and dad would like to have known how their girl's doing. After all, there were no cell phones. You can't just go, and it's going to come on if I do this, but hey, Siri, there. See, told you. Call Rebecca. You can't do that. You can't just call Rebecca. There is no cell phones. There are no cell towers. You can't get on social media and check her status. There is no social media. There is no Facebook. There's no Twitter. There's no Instagram. Elon Musk has not done a massive takeover. It has not occurred. There wasn't a way to send an email. Why? Really? Anyway, wow, this place is dead. Wow. You can't send an email. In fact, in, in fact, there wasn't a way to send any kind of mail at all. Why? There wasn't any mail. It hadn't been invented yet. Do you know? There wasn't a Pony Express. There wasn't, there wasn't a carrier pigeon. There wasn't anything. There was no telegraph. There was nothing. Do you want to know how you got news about your baby girl's health? and well-being once she's gone? Two ways. One, you travel 500 plus miles into the Negev for a visit. Or you send a messenger to get news about her. And then you waited for that messenger to return. Round trip, about two months, give or take. Two months to learn about how your girl is doing. About the only things that you and I today in this day and age want to wait months for at all is the changing of the seasons and the birthing of a child. Other than that, don't tell me months. In fact, the reality is in this day and age, we can't understand this kind of stuff. Why? Because we get upset if our streaming service is too slow. And if it's not literally melting the insulating covers off of our Cat5 or fiber optic cables, we lose our victory. There is no one on planet Earth more annoyed than a person trying to stream the movie they want to watch, and it won't show up fast enough. First world issues. And yet here we have a family who sent their girl off 500 miles with although their family, they're strangers. How many of you have, who have some family know that there are some in there that are pretty strange? None of these guests have strange family. That's okay. Blessings to you. The rest of us 
The rest of us, we have some people that are like, okay, yeah, you stay right there. It's the way it is. 500 miles worth of travel. Let's get back to Rebecca. Ladies, let me ask you a question. This is specifically for you. How would you feel about a blind date that would forever and always set the course for the rest of your life? I know women that won't so much as touch the handlebar of a shopping cart without disinfecting and sanitizing it first. And then when they're done shopping, they have to do the same thing to their hands if they don't find a restroom and literally going into surgery scrub themselves after they get out of the grocery department. Much less move in with a husband that they have never met and they have never seen. Yet Rebecca's response to the proposal of the servant and at the sight of her yet unmet husband was anything but hesitant. She wanted to get going. Notice that while meditating in a field one evening that Isaac looked up to see Rebecca at the same time that she looked up and she saw him. Verse 64 tells us that before she even asked the servant who the man in the field was, before she even formed that question, she was off her camel. Do you understand the significance of that? For 500 miles and maybe a month or more, she has been hearing about this man. And they enter a field that is now at the home range of Abraham and his subsequent son Isaac. And she looks across that field and there's a man. And she sees him and she bails off her camel and then asks, Who is that? In her heart, well, Genesis twenty four sixty four, as we've already read, Rebecca looked up, saw Isaac, and she got off her camel. She knew who that was. She knew who that man was. She met Isaac face to face. Now listen to me, children of the Most High. Listen. For the very first time, she met Isaac in a field, in a place of harvest. Does that sound vaguely familiar? But knew who he was beforehand. You see, their romance, their real romance, their face-to-face -face encounter and life together began in a harvest field, but it wasn't until after they had met in that field did they get to leave that field and go be married together. They had to meet in the field first. Before she had even take or asked the servant who the man in the field was, Rebecca had dismounted from the very thing that had transported her so far from where she was from. She did so because the time had come to join this man that she had never seen, that she had never spoken to, and that she had never met. Did you see that? This camel had been brought to her by the servant. This transportation, this thing that carried her from where she was to where he is. It was supplied to her by the servant of Abraham. And I imagine that when she slid off of that camel, that in her heart of hearts, 
she was thinking to herself, Camel, I thank you. But here's the thing. I won't be needing you anymore. I won't be needing you any longer because my journey is over and my Isaac is before me. How is that even possible? How is it that a beautiful young woman would agree to go in excess of 500 miles away from home with a man she'd never seen before? To a place that she had never been before. To marry a man she had never met before. How is that even possible? Well, Rebecca was no ordinary girl. She saw something in the servant that she trusted. Everything that she knew about Isaac, everything she felt about Isaac, everything that she loved, that love that was growing inside of her, it was because of of the servant. And it was all due to him. Everything she knew, everything she felt, and everything that was growing in her was because of the servant. John chapter 20 says this. Blessed are those who have not yet seen and have yet believed. I know we interact with the Lord Jesus a lot, but in reality we're interacting with the Holy Spirit and we haven't met our husband yet. We haven't met our Isaac yet, but the servant is telling us all about him. And the servant's worship, because you know, he, he, he worshipped right before her at the well. He worshipped at her house in front of the family. In his worship and adoration of God the Father, Rebecca recognized authenticity. This man was real. The servant took the initiative of addressing Rebecca concerning why he was even there and what his mission was. John chapter 6 and verse 44 says, No one can come to me unless the Father who has sent me draws them. As far as Isaac was concerned, Abraham's servant had done such a masterful job of telling Rebekah everything there was to know about Isaac that it was as if she could see him. It was like she just saw him. And so when she arrived in the field and actually did see him, she already knew who that was. She could hear his voice. She could tell what color eyes his hit were. She even knew his preferences. Rebecca knew Isaac's likes and his dislikes. He knew what kind of food he ate. He knew what she knew what kind of music he listened to. The whole nine yards. By the time the caravan had reached the Negev where Isaac lived, it was as if she had already known him. Lighting off her camel, she didn't fear rejection at all. She knew that she would be accepted. She knew that she would be embraced. She knew that she would be loved forever by this man she had never met, all because of the job done by the servant. You see, not only did the servant tell Rebecca about Isaac's likes, and his preferences, he also, get a load of this, he also told her of his tastes in women. 
See, Isaac, Isaac has a type. Isaac has a type. Number one, now listen very carefully. She had to be from his father's house. She had to be from his father's house. She had to be beautiful in both form and feature. Remember what the Bible says? No spots, no wrinkles. Right? She had to be both beautiful in both form and feature. But her physical beauty had to be complemented by something else. It had to be complemented by beauty that came from her heart. Her beautiful face and figure had to be balanced by beautiful character. These characteristics, if you read this story in, in its entirety, chapter 24 of Genesis, it's a big chapter. If you read this, you'll find out Abraham had specific requirements for the wife of his son, and one of the requirements was this, don't get a bride for my son from Canaan. You see, the features that Isaac prefers, they don't come from Canaan. They don't come from Canaan. Canaan, remember, Canaan in the future is going to be Israel, right? Right now, Canaan <laughs> Canaan is riddled with pagans and heathens of the worst kind possible. You don't bring a wife to my son from here. In other words, Canaan, it's like the world. And Isaac's type comes from the house of his father. Realizing that this entire story, although it actually happened in history, there was a real Abraham, there was a real Isaac, there's a real Rebekah, and the lineages that they came, both came from prior to them all were historically real. Remember that, but at the same time, these people and these events are what's known as typical in other words, they represent a type. Something that actually symbolizes and represents something else at the same time. Abraham is a type of God the Father. Isaac is a type of Jesus. The servant is a type of the Holy Spirit. And Rebekah is a type of of God's people. Realizing all of that, that there is significant, typical images here, we understand that the task, now listen to me very carefully, with this story firmly entrenched in your mind, we understand that the task of wooing and drawing mankind to the side of God is the responsibility of the Holy Spirit. His job, because He is here. When Jesus left earth, He said, I will not leave you comfortless, but I will send another comforter when I'm gone. That other comforter is the third part of the Godhead. We are hosting Him as we speak. He is the Holy Spirit of God, divine in character. And in nature. He is God, the Holy Spirit. 
And it is His job, since Christ has ascended and gone, it is His job to draw the lost to Calvary's, Calvary's cross. It is His job. He draws us to the Father. And then from that point, when we are drawn to the Father, we embrace the Son of God as our Lord and our Savior because we see that we are in need of a Savior. Once that has occurred, then the Holy Spirit uses the rest of our life and the events that occur throughout it. And He uses those things as beasts of burden to transport us to God Himself, His Son, Jesus Christ. He uses our life and our living, and He moves us along on beasts of burden, altering and changing and revealing the nature and the character of our Isaac, Jesus Christ. And He moves us that way through our life. And so all of a sudden, one day, whether that be through death or from a trumpet sounding, we're going to look up one day while we're here in a harvest field. And we're going to look across that field and we're going to see our Isaac looking right back at us. And we will have left our camel. And we won't need identification because we know who that is. The funny thing about an unknown God is that when He finally shows up in person or speaks in person, even the most ignorant of divinity says, Lord, we recognize who He is. And the Bible tells us clearly that my sheep know my voice. That's what it says. And so at some point in time, this romance that we're in right now with a man that we haven't even met, but we're falling deeper and deeper in love with him because of the, the, the job being done by the Holy Spirit, one day we're going to know who he is on sight. Why? Because the Holy Spirit has done such an excellent job of showing us who He is in this harvest field. And the funny thing about it is that that Holy Spirit, He, he will transport us and He will accompany us because His name, His name in the Greek is paraclete. That's what He's called. And it's called that translated into our terminology, is the one who walks alongside. That's who He is. Remember, I will never leave you nor forsake you because He will always be here. That's what He will do. And as we go through this, when we finally get to embrace our Isaac and our Isaac embraces us, we will have traveled. For all these days, all these days, and we will end up so very, very, very far away from where we started. 
when I contemplate this story and I'm getting ready to close. When I contemplate this story, I'm amazed at how well the job of the Holy Spirit was done in in the job of safely transporting Rebecca through that long and that arduous journey from where she was to where he is. You know? Where we are to where he is. See, being a Christian doesn't mean that you don't have trouble. Being a Christian doesn't mean there isn't crisis. I mean, what would 500 miles and over a month on a camel through the desert be like? I'm I'm thinking, yeah, that's kind of a crisis. Yeah? But He safely transports us through all of the events that happen on our trip from where we're from to where He is, and He does it safely, and He does it completely. The conversations that must have occurred on that camel train undoubtedly lasted for hours. I can just hear Rebecca asking the servant things like, what's he like? What is Jesus, I'm sorry, what is Isaac like? What is he like? What does the family do? What is it that they do? Can you tell me all about that? Where is this place that we're going? I have never been there and I don't understand and I don't know what's so special. Those conversations with all of the subtleties and the nuances must have gone on for hours upon hours every single day. All with this air of excitement about them. I can imagine the times that the servant and Rebecca weren't even discussing all things Isaac. That Rebecca was telling her maids everything that she had learned faithfully communicating what the servant had already said to her and then every detail, every nuance about him, all the imagery conveyed by the servant she tells the girls at night in the tents. The girl talk that must have transpired every single night for that month or more must have been turbocharged. They must have been totally, totally excited. And, and I can imagine this. I can imagine that throughout that long journey from, Rebecca home, from Rebecca's home to Isaac's, that in an effort to somehow deepen Rebecca's understanding of her soon-to-be husband, that from time to time, I can just see this, I can just see it. The servant, while they're just traveling along, or they hit an oasis somewhere, and, and they stop, make a rest stop, grab some chicken or burgers. The the servant would reach over and reach in a saddlebag and he would take some treasure out of the saddlebag, some gift, and he'd present it to her and say, this is from the house of Abraham. Rebecca, in turn, would show all of the women that came with her what wonderful things were in store for her when she arrived arrived at her yet unmet husband's home. You see, that is exactly what the Holy Spirit does for us. On this journey, as sometimes difficult and as challenging as it can be, there are times when while we're on this journey, He will reach into the saddlebag and He will extract some gift or some, some, some treasure and He will bestow it upon us. We didn't know it was coming. 
but it looks just like something that he would do. And here is, here is the moral of the story. This kind of love occurs. It happened in real time, in a real place. And it's happening right now. It is happening right now in the life and the times of the church of Jesus Christ. And the church of Jesus, I'm not talking about churches. I'm not talking about edifices. I'm talking about people who have responded to the call of the servant of God, the Holy Spirit, and who have responded in affirmation and said, yeah, I will go with you. I will go. I see him. And then during this entire journey, with all that goes along with it, all of the ups, all of the downs, all of life being life, all of human nature being human, all of the stuff. We're listening to the Holy Spirit of God tell us about our Isaac, Jesus Christ. And by the time we finally arrive at the Negev, when we finally arrive at Isaac's home, we will recognize him. And we will know Him. But here's the thing, and this is it in closing. If you read the story in Genesis chapter 24, you'll realize that on this caravan, on this camel train, there are additional women that are accompanying Rebekah with her, going for her to meet her Isaac. Here's the thing. There was only one individual on that camel train that was intended for Isaac. Just one. None of the rest. What we want to do in this journey, brothers and sisters, ladies and gentlemen, is we don't want to be one of the handmaidens. We want to be the Rebecca. We don't want to be left out once we finally arrive at Abraham's house. We don't want to be left there just to serve Rebecca. We want to be Rebecca. Because everybody else there, they didn't get to marry Isaac. They didn't marry him. They were just the servants. We want to be Rebecca. Amen? Stand with me this morning.